welcome to the second episode of Farming for the Future. In this week's episode, I went to We Are Grow's agroecological farm at the Tostridge Academy in High Barnet, North London, to talk to growers Sarah and Chris. I have been an irregular volunteer at Grow on Wednesdays, which is their volunteer day where any adult is welcome to come from 10 to 4 p.m. I think in, in summer and then in winter it's 10 to 3 p.m. You just come and help out on the farm. On this Wednesday, we spent the majority of the day preparing a bed and then planting some leeks. And thank you to Sarah for teaching me that um, if you want to grow kind of fat leeks, then you've got to cut the roots quite short and then put them in quite wide holes to kind of encourage the energy into them growing outwards. So thanks, Sarah, for that. I've probably pretty butchered that, but Anyway, we had some really interesting conversations about Sarah and Chris's respective journeys into becoming growers and um, how to both increase diversity in the farming communities and to encourage young people to get into farming. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And yeah, let's, let's get on to Sarah and Chris. Sarah, thank you so much for being on Farming for the Future podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, uh, my name's Sarah Allen-Jones and I'm the Farm and Outdoor Education Director at Grow. Amazing, thank you. And before we go into Grow, I thought it'd be interesting to learn more about you and kind of how you got into farming and whether or not that was your kind of original plan, if there can be such a thing. But yeah, what was your journey? Yeah. Um, so I kind of got into growing by accident. It wasn't a kind of life plan. Um, when people ask me this question, I always start with the fact that I grew up in the countryside. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I grew up in a very small village in the Midlands where a lot of people at my school were farmers and kind of surrounded by farms. So that was kind of, I guess, quite normal for me. And we spent like a lot of time outside and had, um, parents and grandparents who were very into growing and gardening and things like that. Um, I then came to London to go to uni, um, couldn't, get wait, couldn't wait to get out of Leicestershire and um, studied French and film studies, um, managed to do that for about a year before I kind of started to question what I was doing, definitely got myself a bit down and was a bit like struggling with city life Mm. Um, and yeah at that time I started just had this kind of thing in my head like I need to be I need to be in a garden I just kind of knew that somewhere inside myself and um, so I started volunteering at the Eastern Curve Garden in Dalston which is this like magical little space um, run by an amazing couple and did that for a little while and loved it. I just remember going into that space and it just being completely different from my experience of London at that point. And remember thinking like, oh, there's old people here and children and like people from different backgrounds and communities. And like yeah. at that time I was living in Dalston, like, you know, it was like sort of in my early 20s and everybody that was around was a kind of white middle class hipster. And yeah. <laughs> I just hadn't realised how affecting that was, I guess. And yeah, I just remember feeling like being in that space and I was just like this is good this is where I want to be um and then through that really I just kind of got more and more interested in it I then joined a a veg box then started to learn about the veg box I was part of and um and did their traineeships that was growing communities which is an incredible social enterprise based Mm -hmm. in Hackney um and then whilst I was still studying 
Um, I would spend my summers doing woofing, so going to work on farms. Um, and then you kind of, you don't get paid, but you get bored. Um, so you don't really have to spend any money. So I would do that in Scandinavia in the summers and go spend a sort of, a, I would spend like uh, two years going to Norway and then a year in Sweden. Um, yeah, and then I was kind of doing my master's, making films um, and just finding it really unfulfilling. Mm. And then at the same time, I was, so I was kind of freelancing, doing film and ethnography. And then I also had a little patch growing salad for growing communities. So I was kind of this, like, it just felt ridiculously East London. I was, when people <laughs> asked me what I would do, I would say I'm a part-time filmmaker, part-time organic salad grower. <laughs> um, and yeah, it kind of came to this moment where I was doing some of these, like, soulless corporate film jobs and, they asked me to do this job and it was for Shell and I just was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And the same day I got offered a shift to do the Growing Community Veg veg Box Pack and it was £300 a day versus whatever London Living Wage was at that time. And I was like, I'm going to do the Veg Box and yeah. that feels good. And then at that point I just stopped doing the film and went to work um, on a farm in the countryside for a season just to kind of check that that's what I wanted to do. And that was about nine or ten years ago, I think now. Wow. Yeah, so kind of done... Um, yeah, that's the biggest scale farm I've worked on. I ran a market garden in Suffolk for a, about a year and then I've sort of worked at different community gardens and growing projects in London and a lot yeah. of stuff kind of around education. Cool. Um, been at Grow for three... Just under three and a half years now. Well, that brings us perfectly to Grow because can you explain to people who don't know who are listening what Grow is? Yeah. So Grow is a charity. Um, we are based on a six-acre piece of land in High Barnet. Uh, so we're the first field of the Green Belt. Um, so the land is owned by a secondary school and we lease it from them. So it's kind of part community farm. So we run um, a box scheme using agroecological principles. We sell to restaurants, florists um, and the local community. Uh, we have community volunteering. We have traineeships every year. Um, so that's kind of farm side of it. And then we uh, run a kind of n new kind of educational programme where mm. we work very closely with um, primaries and secondary schools um, to deliver um, sessions in outdoor learning. Um, and the idea is to kind of get young people co connected with the world of the land and the world around them, really, and get them used to it and see how that can kind of give you a purpose. Yeah, because I heard you talking and you said that there were um, like English classes that had like, what was it, the perspective of a, of a bug? Yeah, they like did um, literacy classes where we give the children a um, nature bug hunt, a nature treasure hunt, we call it, and it's kind of got like a tick list of all the insects and bugs and stuff they can find. And so they all like roam around the farm looking for those things and then they had to write from the perspective of one of the things that they've found. Yeah, that's amazing. No, we also have um, food tech come out here pretty oh, much yeah. every term in year seven. So they do a little, like, they learn about seasonality and we literally walk around the farm in the different seasons and find out what there is. And then they pick those and take them back and straight away they do a, they make a risotto out of it. So they have a seasonal risotto every, uh, every, every season. That's so cool. Yeah. And science, we have a lot and art, yeah. And so how did Grow start and how do you start a sustainable charity like Grow? 
a big question. It's a very big question. I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, so, Grow, the, the idea for Grow came from uh, George Lamb, who was the kind of initial founder, and he um, had a relationship with the head teacher, so kind of mm. knew that there was this six acre field that wasn't being used. And um, I think George knew that he wanted to do something around education and like schools and um, with this idea of like food being the centre of everything and you can sort of have big change if you address food yeah. um, and obviously like sustainability and all, all these like super pressing issues um, and he had this kind of big idea and he's not a farmer or an educator so um, employed me um, and yeah when we started it was an empty field so we first of all started um, it was fundraising obviously and um we started with the kids straight away doing sessions on the farm. So the first ever sessions we did were um, they did worm surveys across every corner of the field, oh, which wow. is kind of the old fashioned way of like measuring yeah. the health of your soil. And then they came and did pH um, testing, which actually we needed to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they have really seen the farm grow with them. So, yeah, and it was a lot of um, planning yeah, a lot of lot of like the money side of it to start with, trying to make sure that we had enough money to run, um, planning and setting up the farm. So kind of working out what we wanted to do. To be honest, a lot of it was trial and error for the first kind of two years, really, just like trying different things and seeing what stuck. Yeah. Um, and now we're in year three, and it really feels like we've kind of put in the groundwork literally and metaphorically <laughs> and uh, we are really starting to kind of reap the rewards now we've got systems in place as an organization and on the farm mm. um, we've kind of done lots of the sort of more back-breaking stuff like improving the soil a bit drainage putting up tunnels you know all the kind of heavy stuff working out what our soils like what pests we have things like that yeah. and it's a lot of setbacks for the first couple of years <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard going and you're not making massive yields you know yeah um but now yeah it kind of feels like we can sort of stop and appreciate what we're doing a bit now yeah brilliant and what um I guess like when you first started what obstacles did you encounter mm. so I think when I first started there really wasn't this awareness of um traineeships being for more privileged people so I was able to do, a, I did an unpaid traineeship because I was, I was studying for a master's and I was working at the same time. Mm. Um, yeah, like that, I didn't have that barrier. So I was able to do that traineeship um, and get that um, experience. But I think now people are so much more aware of like unpaid traineeships and how that just doesn't help diversify the sector. And everybody yeah. that I did the traineeship with, bar a few exceptions, but in the, in the massive minority were white middle class people who mm. like lovely lovely people who've like you know like myself <laughs> nothing mm. wrong with us but like it was just not very diverse and was just a bit of an echo chamber yeah um so yeah that that it's not it wasn't a barrier to me but um that's obviously a barrier to massive to yeah. you know whole swathes of people and that is still a big problem i think the the pay is a barrier was a barrier like i kind of got to a point where i just didn't I couldn't, I didn't want to do film anymore. Like I just, it was making me feel sort of sick on the inside. And like, yeah. I think I'm, I'm from like a family of people who do 
jobs like doctors and vets and teachers, like we all do things that are kind of good for society. So I think that was kind of ingrained in me in some ways. Um, but, you know, it was I would be making a hell of a lot more money if I'd stayed as a filmmaker. Yeah. And for people to make that jump is difficult yeah. um, if, if you're having to think about money. And I was really lucky that I was able to kind of do freelance film and the growing at the same time to then build up enough experience to get a full-time mm. job but yeah. a lot of people aren't in that position and then access to land is hard if yeah. you you know I've, I've this isn't our land we don't own it we were just super lucky to find this piece of land with a school that was willing to let us basically do what we want but yeah access to land could be hard and and also um getting a full-time job particularly in London and in cities is hard because yeah. a lot of it is part-time it's not very well paid and I think when I started it was actually there weren't that many of us doing it like most of the sort of bigger projects in London are run by people that did the growing communities traineeship yeah not that not all but but a fair lot of them um and so you know there were it wasn't super challenging to get work because there mm. weren't that many of, of us and I know now that it's which is amazing it's like so much more popular than it was and um it is harder to get works when you're starting out because yeah. people you know want you to have a bit of experience they want you to have a qualification and it's just more it's a bit more of a saturated market yeah um, which is really cool that at grow you've introduced the the traineeship program yeah. can you explain what that is and, and who it's open to yeah so the trainee program um it's the third year that we've done it the first year we did it we're in a partnership with feedback charity and the second year we did it through the government kickstart program and kind of through those first two years we um, were finding just that it's really hard to find um, people f to work on the farm from underrepresented backgrounds. And our student population is, is, is really mixed, really diverse. Like it's a, you know, it's a normal state school that we work in and it's a super like mixed cohort of kids. Mm -hmm. And we weren't really feeling like our staff reflected that and we just weren't very comfortable with it. But then we kind of got into this more like, you know, institutional problem of like, if you need a grower with four years experience or whatever, then there just isn't, there isn't that big a pot of people anyway. Yeah. But then trying to find people who like, looked like our kids was, was even more difficult. And so we decided that the way to, to, to try and do a little something about that was to um, introduce this paid traineeship that was targeted at... Um, young people facing barriers to this kind of thing. So it's um, not specifically about one type of disadvantage over another. So mm. it can, we kind of suggest that it can be people from, um, like, pe uh, people of colour. It can be uh, neurodivergent young people. Um, it can be people with, like, money worries, people who've been out of work for a long time on universal credit. It's kind of, mm. we're trying to address that, like you know there's lots of different types of disadvantage and yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah um and so it's really simple it's a paid um traineeship for six months you get a train so we train them and they get a kind of module that we cover every month with them where they have a kind of one-on-one -on -one training session with myself um and then we help them with kind of next steps when they finish um and yeah we're just trying to you know, make it as easy as possible, make it not have to be some, you know, get rid of all the barriers. And so we deliberately 
don't advertise it on a lot of the places where people look for organic jobs. We don't put it on Roots to Work. Yeah. <laughs> we don't put it through, say, the Organic Growers Alliance or things like that. We put it on Indeed and we put it on like jobs boards where the young people that might be interested in something like this but not come across it yeah. normally would. Mm. So we've kind of tried to retrofit it in a way. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> um, really interesting. And yeah, it's, it's, I feel like this year there's been really, really positive. Our young people are uh, loving it and learning yeah. a lot and it's just for them like you know they, they say to us quite regularly and the trainees last year said like didn't even know a job like this existed yeah. um, and for them you know they're getting paid above minimum wage they're getting yeah. to be outside all, all the time and they're learning so you know and they're great workers is that a magpie? Yeah. yeah really, audio, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> We're recording. <laughs> and there's a fantastic charity which the school used to work with and maybe still, and I know you said they're still very much involved, but um, chefs in schools. Do you foresee a future where farms in schools might might exist yes definitely that's like that's our whole thing really we're, we're kind of we always say that we're trying to create a model of how farms and schools can work together yeah. and um so either you can have you know a charity like grow come in and kind of manage a site next to you because you would be surprised at how many schools not obviously inner city schools but a little further out how many schools have a decent amount of land yeah um and they often don't do anything with it and there's much more of an appetite for kind of outdoor education than there was five, ten years ago. Um, and it can, you know, there's, there's massive benefits for the school cohort. Um, so, yeah, that's something we're very much involved in, um, making it as easy as possible for, to, to help schools set something like this up. So we do a training programme um, twice a year. Twice a year? Yeah, we do a training programme <laughs> yeah. twice a year for... Um, it's aimed at uh, farmers who... like. It could be farmers, food growers who want to do a bit more teaching or who want to bring education in somehow or teachers who want to bring a bit more outdoor education in. And the idea is to kind of create this new hybrid um, skill that is high level of teaching mm. and outdoor education brought together because yeah. often sort of in... in the team's experience beforehand, you know, I, I did a lot of outdoor education and facilitation in schools and often you're just going in once a week and then there's no follow through with the schools. It's not yeah. linked to curriculum and you just go in and manage these beds. No one else would look after them. And as soon as you went in the summer holidays, everything would die. And like, we really strongly believe that A, sustainable food growing is like, should be treated as seriously as a subject and we mm -hmm. should be teaching it properly. And yeah. also just that it really is a useful thing to learn so many subjects and skills um yeah cool brilliant um and how how do you make a farming career viable and attractive for young people that is a big question <laughs> <laughs> so unless we fundamentally change the way that our society works <laughs> farming is never going to be as well paid as you know mm. other careers um because we don't pay the true cost of food um yeah. it's it's hidden and you know and and yeah it does not that's why growers the 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 true the reason growers don't get paid very much is because people don't pay very much for their veg so yeah. it's really hard work uh when you sometimes when you kind of harvest the bed of something that's been in there all year and you work out it's worth 60 quid and you think oh god yeah. um, but um so the money side of it, like hopefully it will improve over time, as, you know, and, and I think that 
in not too long, people will start to appreciate how important farmers are as like climate change takes hold more and we start to get shortages of things mm. and things like that. And we realise like we have to prioritise food growing and how much of a skill it is. Um, but also I think for me, it's about getting children and young people from all backgrounds connected with it from a young age to know yeah. that it's there and then you can start to pass on the joy of working outside yeah. and so people can know that because um, I think for a lot of people that work in this industry a lot well a lot of people are career changers in the kind yeah. of smaller more like urban organic setting less so maybe in the kind of more rural setting but um, they're people that have kind of come to it from something else because they wanted to change or a lot of people sort of, you know, believe in it politically or are interested in people and community. Um, so, yeah, I think... what and, and when they have started doing that, they kind of get on this path of, like, oh, well, like, if I can, grow, you know, grow my own food or, and then I don't have to spend so much at the supermarket. And then people start to get interested in, you know, slightly tangential things like textiles starting to think like oh how how is how is like cotton and linen and stuff made and then you realize mm, that mm. you start to get into the thing where you realize that everything comes from the soil course, <laughs> and then yeah, you start yeah. thinking well, why am I spending all this money at like H&M or whatever and like it does and then you start to think about like your travel and like all your outputs in the world and I think quite often people kind of go through this bit of like rethink of the world where you just reassess what's important and for me definitely like I don't really buy new clothes anymore, but I spend a lot of money on food because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I want to buy good food and it's really important for me and brings me, like, joy. And so, but to have that shift, people need to be around it. Yeah. So yeah. for me, like, better pay for growers, yes, but, like, that's an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's about introducing people and getting them to see the joy for themselves, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And do you think that we can save the world through farming? 100%. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. The, like, it, the food is going to be more and more, like, pressing issue. It already is. Like, yeah. you know, we've already seen, look at, like, Ukraine. And, um, like, pasta and bread prices have gone up, like, 50% in the last three mm. months. And I was reading somewhere the other day that, like, the UK's supplies of sunflower oil are, are like, about to run out. And, like, yeah. farmers, I don't know what it is, but, you know, farmers are custodians for most of the world. And, you know, we are the ones that are at the forefront of climate change. I always get frustrated with my friends that they don't seem to notice the weather. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. people, you'll say, like, you know, people will complain that it's, um, it's raining in April because we've just had a mad heat wave for two weeks. And it's, yeah. it's crazy how out of touch people get with it and obviously when you're growing food like the weather is the most important thing you're completely beholden to it so we're checking the forecast every day like three times a day sometimes and noticing those changes and mm. and you notice them like it's way more difficult than it was five years ago to grow to grow food 100 percent. really yeah big droughts heavy rainfall crazy winds in the winter that mm. it didn't used to happen five six years ago it's getting worse God, and, that's so scary yeah and and you know Farmers are the, the front line, really. And, and if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice, what would you say to, your, to your, a younger self? Um, 
I don't regret I don't regret anything that I've done definitely I think it was all like I think a lot of the skills that I learned in my other careers are really valuable and I I did really I, I enjoyed doing it I just didn't want to I find it very difficult to work for something I don't believe in yeah that yeah. was my kind of main thing with it I think I for a long time I beat myself up because I knew I didn't want to do what I was doing but I didn't know what else to do and mm. we get a lot of people coming to the farm to volunteer who are in that similar position yeah. and I always say yeah. to people don't beat yourself up because you don't know what what it is now you don't know what it is you want to do and what you're doing now is the process of finding it out and now it's funny when I look back at my CV it all looks like it makes sense yeah. <laughs> at the time it did not feel like that so yeah. like you know doing things that you don't want to do is a bit of a process of elimination for me and yeah. like you know, I made some great friends doing... I loved, I loved, I love film. I still love film. And um, I learned a lot and that I have, you, you can apply. Um, so I think just, I would say, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> just go with the flow, which is difficult, but like... That, that's great advice. Yeah, I think the mo- often, yeah. often the most interesting people have done lots of different things. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you learn different skills and yeah. And just also just to other like to myself but also just be brave just go with your instinct mm. if you don't like something it's, you don't do it if you like something do it and I think that's kind of what I did was just follow the things I liked and yeah. then I've ended up with like I, I am aware I have <laughs> I do have the, a dream job I love yeah. it like you know I get to do what I love every day and work with children and you know obviously it's not for everybody but yeah yeah I'm super happy with my job and and final question um if there are young people who kind of want to enter this world, become growers, become farmers, um, but didn't grow up on farms mm. um, or don't know where to start, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to them on how to begin? Yeah, so, um, well, there's some great organisations. Uh, the Land Workers Alliance have a sort of, um, what's the word, like a, a group called um, Youth Flame. Mm. that is targeted at young people and that's all kind of like um small scale land workers and they can put people in touch with with really good farms and they advertise um positions and loads of traineeships like every season so that's a really good thing to be involved with um if you did want to go down the studying route then um doing like a level one or a level two in horticulture is like a really mm. good good place to start um yeah and just finding I think I would say just like find uh your a local I mean I would always say organic if you can but um yeah. like a organic farm that uh you know is doing good stuff so like you know if they're running a box scheme often they, they tend to be like good or if they're a social enterprise or just like there are more of these kind of little farms than people realize yeah i'm trying to think if there's like a kind of national network but i don't think there is um if if and if people can afford it then woofing and work away yeah. is, is a great way to do it but obviously you do need to have you know you need to be able to get to the places you need to be able to leave like um but yeah woof is the worldwide organization of organic farms and that is a really good way to to get experience. Um, there are, you know, training programs that you can do, but they're more in horticulture. The yeah. the, the kind of farming ones, you, you'll get like paid positions for trainees, but it, you know it's hard work. 
yeah. but yeah, I think Land Workers Alliance is a is a great place to start. Or the Org- Organic Growers Alliance is also really good for like listing good jobs. Um, if people are like in London, um, then there's places like Organic Lee in Chingford, Sutton Community Farm in the south, um, Setopia Farm. Um, grow <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and then Capel Manor which is kind of the, the big RHS training uh, college like a land-based college that's yeah. a good place to do qualifications and you can do them kind of evening and part-time and things like that yeah and and you offer a every Wednesday you have a volunteer yeah we have open volunteering every Wednesday so it's for anybody age 16 or over um if people do need like support from like a, a carer or anything we 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 need people to come with. We don't have um, mm. capacity to support that. But as long as you're over 16, um, you're welcome to come. You can come for two hours. You can come for the whole day. We feed everybody. And it's a, re- it's a lovely day, kind of. Um, it is a lovely day. I can vouch for that. <laughs> I always have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, we always try and make it clear to people that we're here to answer questions because people yeah. are giving their time for free and we're aware of that. So... We try and pay back in good food and um, and trying to pass on some of our knowledge. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I, that was that was amazing. Thank you. That was really really helpful. <laughs> okay, so um, Chris, do you want to introduce yourself to listeners? Yeah, my name is Chris. I'm a grower at We Are Grow. It's a small farm, school farm based in North London. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a really interesting um, story because you started off as a chef and then you became a grower. Can you explain how that transition happened? Yeah, so I was working in hospitality sort of in general to begin with um, and then moved towards food eventually. Um, and then chefs in varying places in Cambridge and in London for, the sort of, for five years or so. Um, and towards the end of those five years, I loved hospitality and I loved the team, the community spirit that, that a good restaurant can, can hold. But I thought there was something missing in terms of the environment and in terms of like wasted wastage, whether that be wasted veg, wasted um, electricity, water, and, and also wasted talent, like waste of people. Because um, I just saw the turnover of, of people in that industry was, was far too high um, due to the culture mainly. Um, so I wanted to take a step backwards and I originally looked at teaching cooking um, mm. and that didn't fit quite right so I wanted to go even further back and sort of kept thinking about it and eventually saw that there were some farming jobs going and realised that that might be the answer to the question I didn't quite know yet. Um, so I tried it and, yeah. and, it's, and it's two and a half years later. Oh brilliant. Yeah. Um, and how did you first get into into hospitality? Was that something that you kind of grew up with, or no, no, not at all. It was definitely not. It, so my my parents always said I would go to the army or I'd run a restaurant. But okay. when I was a child, they didn't tell me that. And when I was a, they only told me that after I started working for oh, restaurants. That's interesting. So um, I was actually working in South America in Guyana, where I was born. Um, and I'd set up a little business there after university. I'd been living there a couple of years. And I needed money um, because it's really expensive to fly back home from from South America. So I came back to England to earn some money and I started working in an office because when you're 
academic. They tell you working in an office is the best way to make money and the, yeah. the easiest way to make a lot of money, but it's not. Um, so I didn't tell anybody and I just started working in a restaurant. And I still felt, I guess, some shame around that sort of about service potentially, which is so weird looking back because I adore it now and I think everyone should do it. Um, but yeah, I started working in a restaurant and there was far more money to be made doing that, waiting tables, and because it was back in the day where you still made cash tips, and was, um, then I got sucked into it. I got sucked into it, I met my partner, it became my life for the next three years, like fully, fully my life, and it was only after those three years were up that I sort of took stock a little bit, and that's when I moved into the kitchen. Yeah. So I did the first three years in front of us, and then finally took some stock. Yeah. And yeah, started cooking. And what was it like when, when you kind of did when you made the move to growing, kind of when you started working with like with your hands? And I guess in a restaurant you work with your hands as a chef, but um, I guess more like in the soil. To be honest, the first place I was at, it was a commercial farm. It's a it's a lovely place, um, and they do amazing things. But the difference was there was no difference. I didn't see any difference. Okay. Um, I think that for the first year, I treated it like a massive kitchen. So it was just, instead of a room, it was a field. Um, and instead of a restaurant, it was a whole farm. Um, because all the processes, although, you know, that everything's different, you still have the same sort of rhythms of your day. You still have, like, prep, like mise en place, which you can sort of, I don't know, maybe it's seeding or mm. pricking out or something. And then services, um, like packing boxes that will go out to restaurants. Yeah. And that's, there's like loads of, it's like hustle, you've got to do it quickly because the stuff's out of the ground, it's in a warm place and you need to get it packed and sent. So I didn't, I didn't see any difference. It wasn't until I moved to grow to a different form of farming, which is focused on um, the community around it and the impact that both the farming and the, the education around the mm. farming has. So yeah. yeah, it wasn't until then that I started to see a, to see a difference. Because that's, we were talking about this earlier, I think, um, agroecological can mm. you explain what that is so Sarah will also describe this and she'll be far more eloquent than I will but um, so agroecology is the sort of principle of running your farm running your land in a way that's both good for the environment i.e. the soil etc and for the community around it mm. um, so all the decisions you make from the people you work with the tools you use to the um, uh, the, the ways that you grow things are all based on these these principles of community um, and environment. Mm. And you can't have, in agroecology, the environment without community and vice versa. Um, well, we, if humans didn't exist, the environment would go on. But <laughs> as we're here, yeah. we need to work together to move forward. And that's, that's what agroecology sort of brings. Yeah. And, and how do you think um, that fits into your kind of, if you had a vision for the future of food in the UK how do you think agroecology and, and especially education in schools mm -hmm. how does that fit into it I think it's fundamental like people knowing how to grow and then cook their own food is super important you know not everybody this is the other thing with agroecology like it's it's an idyllic thing um, and it can exist anywhere because it depends what the environment is where that agroecological sort of thing mm. exists but Within a city, not everyone is going to be able to grow, so you need to think about that aspect of it as well. Um, but it doesn't mean that not everyone should be taught how to grow 
you know, everyone should be taught how to grow irrespective of their access to land. Yes. Because the land access thing is a much longer problem that's going to exist for a, for a long time to come because yeah. landowners are not going to unleash land, you know, willy-nilly. Uh, but if more people knew how to do the job and knew how to work the land, the change would be quicker. Because yeah. the argument of, but no one else knows how to do it, that wouldn't exist anymore. Exactly, um, yeah. And if people know how to cook, then they can look after themselves. Um, yeah. And they're not reliant on somebody telling them what to do. Yeah. Or telling them what to eat, because you can't trust everybody that tells you what to eat. Yeah, because it was actually it was a conversation I was having with Lotta earlier, because we were both thinking, like, how different would our lives be if we'd gone to a school where this had been a part of our education mm-hmm. system? Mm-hmm. Um, do you kind of like? Do you think that your life would have been different if you'd perhaps known about this path sooner? Earlier, um, I don't know. I think it's it's a representation thing. So, like you say, if we knew about it, then you could think, imagine yourself doing it. Mm. Um, with respect to me, like my family, they're really growy. Um, you know, my grandparents on both sides did a lot of growing, and especially my mum's side, they were almost self-sufficient of all the veg. Mm. Um, and when my mum was growing up, it was it was meat as well only on a couple of acres, but it's in South America, so it's a very different growing yeah. environment. Um, I think for me, it wasn't, because I'm a white guy as well, so I'm represented in this world. Mm. Um, it was more uh, like what I said about the service industry. Yeah. Because I come from a, like, I was academic in school and my parents both worked like in inverted commas professional jobs. That was the pathway. Mm. So any other pathway, like working with my hands, anything vocational, wasn't an option. Yeah. You know, it, I don't think growing up I would have been told I couldn't do that, but it just was never said that you could do that. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, for me it wasn't a representation thing. It was, but you're going to work in an office, you're going to be an accountant or something in the yeah. future, you're going to be a lawyer. And, you know, I didn't ask any questions otherwise until... Yeah. Um, until I was in my early 20s. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you could go back in time, and maybe this is a mean question, but mm. what advice would you give to a younger self? Um, remove the hierarchy of jobs mm. because that's the start of a lot of destruction of choice. Um, and if you grow up believing there's a hierarchy of jobs where doctor's at the top and, and waiter is at the bottom... Um, or, or cleaner is at the bottom or something, then you, first of all, you're going to judge people based on their job, which is, which is incorrect. And yeah. you're going to, it's going to change your expectations of what you will be happy with. Mm. Um, so that's what I would say. For, I think that would be advice for myself. It yeah. wouldn't work for everybody, but I think people that are in, you know, a privileged, privileged position, which I certainly am, um, you know, going to good schools and, and being white and being a male... I think that it's we need to do the unlearning and, and the hierarchy sort of change needs to needs to mm-hmm. the needs to be shifted. Yeah, and can you foresee like a future where every school in the UK has a school uh, has a farm sorry attached to it? I can foresee every I can see a school being connected. Every yes. school being connected with a farm. Yes. I don't think every school has the opportunity. No, no, no. Of course, that's what I meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Every far, every school should be connected with a farm. Certainly. Yeah. Like we shouldn't be buying. If every, um, if every school had a connection, first of all, because you can treat it like a business. Like we're in a business world, and that is often the first thing that comes. And if the business side works, 
mm. and I'm not, I don't agree with this, but if the business side works, then, then the rest will follow. So if yeah. schools only bought produce that was grown in the UK and preferably within 50 miles of that school, yeah. then that would be the first connection. It would be a financial yeah. connection between the, the kitchen and the, um, and, and, and the farm. And then from that, you can start to develop school trips to the farm. You can start to develop the farmers coming out and teaching yeah. some things. Yeah. We can, you can maybe build some raised beds like we do. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, I can definitely envisage, envisage that. And it's certainly something that needs to happen. Yeah. Okay, final question. Mm. Do you think that we can save the world through farming? Yeah, <laughs> I think that we can save the world through... Um, it, so it depends what you define farming as yeah. and like where's the line between gardening, growing, farming, etc, etc. Um, I think we can save the world through growing. I think if more people grew, then there would be less pressure and less need for massive, huge, horrible monoculture farms that, mm. that dominate, you know, all over the world. Um, so the like diversity, like diversification is often the thing that people say is the most important bit of this and it and it is and that means diversity in the in the workforce diversity in um in the crops and just more people growing smaller scale um, yeah will make a massive difference okay and and i lied one more question what advice would you give to young people who kind of want to enter the farming or growing world um but who don't really know where to start who want to enter it that know they want to do it yeah or think they might want to think they might want to do it volunteer if you live mm. in a city, even if you live in the countryside, to be honest, there's so many good volunteering opportunities. And they, that won't in itself give you the qualifications to become a grower, mm. but it will give you an understanding of the sort of the rhythms of the day. And if yeah. you can continue that for a year while on the side of, of other work, then, yeah. then great. Um, the other way is to go and work somewhere. Mm. You know, there's opportunities to go and live on a farm. And, you know, as long as you have the means to look after yourself uh, financially because that's one of the biggest things that's mm. one of the biggest things with getting into farming is that it's it's like one of those invisible things like they made apprenticeship um you know when you go and work for a big company for free to gain experience like, like I, internship. I believe internship yeah, i believe that's yeah. illegal now you can't pay somebody nothing because it's mm. a massive privilege issue yeah um it still exists massively in farming yeah so volunteering you have to have time um woofing you have to have time um so if you have you know the privilege to do that 100 percent, go and do that if you're on a farm it's a little bit harder if you don't um and then the advice is 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 tougher the advice i would give in that case is qualify yourself Mm. um so get your horticultural um qualifications so that you can put yourself slightly above somebody else because yeah. a year of volunteering on a one day a week basis or somebody with a level two in RHS horticulture, the level two will trump it. And yes, yeah. it costs 300 pounds, but it's that it's 300 pounds potentially really well spent. Yeah. Um, cool. Wicked. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you have made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Sarah and Chris, for giving me your time and letting me ask you so many questions. I have put a link in the show notes for lots of things that we spoke about. So if you're interested in the educational programs that Sarah or Chris spoke about, then hopefully you should find more information for that in the show notes. I think this episode provided a lot of food for thought. 
apologies for the pun. And as always, any feedback or questions are welcome. Of course, a huge thank you to Alice for the sound design production and Hugo for the cover art. See you guys next week and thank you so much again. Bye.